Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVito. Welcome back to Trades Work. I'm Monica Burton. I'm excited to be hosting with you today. On this episode, we welcome Jennifer Bremert. Jennifer is the Executive Director of Energy Outreach Colorado, an organization that believes everyone deserves affordable access to the vital resources that power their homes. We'll talk about how Jennifer and her team work to achieve that goal, as well as how our skilled trades play a vital role in that work as well. We're looking forward to talking to Jennifer. It's, an, it's certainly an interesting time for the energy sector, and Jennifer has a wealth of knowledge to share. So welcome to the show, Jennifer. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Well, before we get kind of too into current things going on, I'd love to just learn a little bit about you. How did you end up at Energy Outreach Colorado? What is that? What does that um, organization really do? Um, so Energy Outreach Colorado's mission is to ensure that all Coloradans can afford their home energy. And our vision is to engage a network of public and private partners to support, stabilize, and sustain households. And we do that through a number of different ways by providing bill payment assistance to help people afford their energy bill and prevent disconnection. We administer um, lots of different energy efficiency programs, both in single family homes with multifamily affordable housing for nonprofits. We have a crisis intervention program that does furnace repair and replacement that's funded by the LEAP program, which is a uh-huh. program that we work with. We do solar garden subscriptions. We do a lot of advocacy at the Public Utilities Commission and the state legislature and really are just right. looking to how do we help support families? Sure. <laughs> and my whole career has been in the nonprofit sector. I've been with the organization for 23 years, so I've seen a lot of evolution in energy and how you know it's delivered into our households, but I've always just had a real passion for ensuring affordability and equity right. and and making sure everyone can participate in this, you know, commodity that we all need. Well, was that kind of the lead in for you? I mean, it's interesting when you hear how people get where they get in their career and what paths they take. You probably didn't wake up one day and say, you know what I'm really passionate about is energy. I'm guessing it was more of a people passion and how do we connect people with what they need? Yeah, really, my my background is fundraising. So I really liked um, connecting people to missions that made them feel good about, you know, support, you know, using their dollars to support something good in the world. I came into energy outreach, you know, just through a connection. I was actually the fourth employee hired back in 90, 1996. Yes. And it was a new vision of providing gap resources to fund, you know, sort of support the federal dollars that had been in place for a while. You know, okay. there was a lot of volatility in energy prices, you know, in the late nineties into the early two thousands. And so this was just an interesting place to be. You know, and like Malcolm Gladwell says, after 10,000 hours, you know, I've just been in this space a long time. I really enjoy it. I find it really, really interesting. I have an economics and political science background, so I like the numbers connected to it and the policy connection. But also, it's just, um, this is such a key piece of our lives, right, of how energy Absolutely. Works. And I don't think people, you know, they're starting to understand how complex it is it and is how highly nuanced it is, yeah. Interestingly enough, I was a nonprofit fundraiser for 12 years before I got into the public policy space, too. So all paths <laughs> lead to the same place. Yeah. I am going to guess, having done this work for well over 20 years, you've obviously seen a lot of different environments, a lot of different climates. How would you describe kind of the current 
energy climate we're in, we've probably never seen more public outcry momentum around cost of energy and different forms of energy and all of the things that go into that. You know, well, fundamentally, I think we're moving from sort of an industrial age to a cyber age. And so energy is being delivered into our homes very differently. And there's very different considerations around it. And so there's a natural tension that's coming from trying to have affordable, reliable, and what we call kind of clean or green energy, reduced carbon emissions. And the goals that are being set both at the federal, state, and local levels are driving a real change in how energy is delivered, how you know we think about it both from the generation side, you know, sure. in buildings and on the transportation side. And that tension is real and that it's creating disruption. And so anytime you have that, you have people that are agitated. And I think from my perspective, it's been an interesting week. The, you know, Governor Polis really took a position on that we need to look at how energy can become more affordable. And we're really sure. welcoming the conversation because it is really complex. And I'll say, you know, from my perspective, we have certain industries that have just been incredibly supportive of us. And I will say the Colorado oil and gas industry has been one of those since sure. our inception, you know, of people that really understand the value of this commodity and what it means to households and families. You know, we work with utility companies. We work with nonprofits across the state. I just met with the Colorado Association of Municipal Utilities this morning. I mean, there are 60 plus utilities in Colorado. We think of large companies like Xcel Energy right. as a combined gas and electric investor and utility, but it's much more complex than that. And we have, you know, gas utilities that are across the state that serve multiple territories that are not contiguous. And so when we talk about, you know, a statewide energy policy, how do we really make sure that all Coloradans are represented? We have Absolutely. to be partners with everyone. Well, we find the same challenges even in our industry when we're talking about statewide building codes. The different areas in Colorado are simply not the same. And I would imagine you run into some of some of the same hurdles and challenges in trying to create that equity and create that access, but in a way that's actually feasible and actually sustainable for all the different geographies that Colorado has. Exactly. I mean, what we know is about 25 to 30% of Coloradans qualify for programs just based on their income. Sure. And so when we think about this, we think of urban corridor, we think of rural populations, but also resort communities where people may be traveling multiple counties to be working in that. And there isn't sort of a one size fits all and especially when we talk about, you know, trades and the partners that we have doing a lot of the efficiency work, yep. we really want to make sure that we're supporting local businesses as much as we can and, and local communities. And I think that's what's exciting about this conversation today is that we really depend on a network of contractors, you know, all across the state, across multiple areas. And, and this is only going to grow. And so okay. that's what we're interested in. How do we have partnerships that can accelerate success for everyone in this space. Absolutely. Well, and that's part of the reason we were so excited to have you on the show and to talk with you is our industry overlaps so many other industries. And as these technologies advance and different industries really change their delivery method, it changes the work that our contractors are looking to do and are asked to do. And it really changes kind of the makeup of our workforce. Right. Absolutely. What would you describe, so you talked a little bit about um, how EOC interacts with different partners and the different activities that you guys undertake. What does a normal day look like for you guys? I know that's <laughs> well, a hard question. <laughs> for me, it's very different from my team. So I, you know, I have a team of program staff that are 
talking to families, talking to building owners, you know, some have construction management experience. And so we help facilitate, you know, kind of work being done in buildings. So we have like a, a triangular contract where we facilitate the funding. We work with contractors, but, you know, also have a communication with the building owner because we want those warranties to tie back to the building owner and that communication, you know, to sustain. So it really depends. I mean, I mean, my day is, is more signing contracts and signing checks and, and making sure all of, you know, you know, the internal day to day. and the external, I would say my staff are much more, you know, working directly with contractors, walking through buildings, talking to families, educating households, how they can get support. Sure. You know, that's, you know, the exciting and challenging part of our work. Would it be accurate to describe part of what your team does as being almost a liaison between end users and consumers and families and the different industries that feed the energy sector? Absolutely. We're, we're using the term navigator okay. a lot because we're multi, there's multiple processes. You know, we have our programs, but we're also intersecting with state programs, federal programs, municipal programs, trying to layer on, you know, funding sources to maximize the benefit for the you know, people that we're working with. We have a nonprofit energy efficiency program, which I'm really proud of. It was kind of my baby back in the day because we were seeing that the agencies we use to deliver energy assistance were struggling to pay their own utility bill with the volatility, mm-hmm. right? And so if we right. can improve the efficiency of their building, they can put more money into their own programs. But what we were also learning is when people are busy delivering a mission, they don't think about their bills very often. It's their largest asset, but it's not something that they think about on a day-to-day basis. And so we have to really educate people on why this is important. How are you using energy? And now we're looking at, you know, new rate design structures where um, if people use too much energy, they get charged a demand charge, right? That, you know, impacts their ability to do work. I think that's, you know, what's exciting and also, you know, challenging because we are seeing energy code changes, benchmarking, yes, the electrification lot. movement, you know, just people have to think about this in a very different way than they have in the past. Well, and how much does that change the partnerships that your organization has to form? Has that really changed the players at the table or are you guys just working together in a different way? We work together in a different way. I mean, I, I think we have you know, it depends on the year, but up to a hundred contractors that we work with. So we have smaller HVAC companies that, you know, work on our furnace repair and replacement program. And again, they're dealing with families in crisis. And so that's always challenging, you know, when you're, you know, someone may not be at their best when they're receiving your service. And then we work with large lighting companies and insulation companies and you know, controls and systems, you know, we're working across multiple, you know, building types and, and in different parts of the community. So that's obviously evolving. You know, we really Absolutely. grew our programs kind of in the mid 2000s during the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act when there was a lot of investment in right. qualified efficiency. We're anticipating that growing with the Inflation Reduction Act and what that's going to mean for, you know, layering both utility rebates, possibly municipal rebates. Um, I'm also the chair of the board of the Colorado Clean Energy Fund, which is Colorado's Green Bank. And so that's a really exciting opportunity to provide affordable financing to help facilitate, you know, projects that 
maybe harder to finance. You know, I think that's the goal is to really look and see where we can fill the gaps. So we're doing that. Yeah, both through, creative and innovative. Yeah, EOC and then other partnerships like that. When you talk about families that are having these affordability crises, how do the families get connected with EOC? What is kind of that gateway? Do I mean, do you get online and Google? What do I do if I can't afford my energy bill? Is that how yeah. they you? Yep, absolutely. So we have a toll-free number that we share with the state, one eight six six heat help that okay. connects to a call center that we have that has lots of language options and accessibility options for people to apply for the different programs. Certainly our website, I just got a report, you know, we have double our um, traffic than we did from November. I you do. <laughs> you know, I think utility companies we partner with. So if someone, you know, gets a disconnection notice, our first thing that we ask them to do is to call the utility and let them know, right? And put them on a payment arrangement. Let them know they're applying for assistance. Put a hold on the account. You know, we really see those utility partners, you know, as there are, you know, it's their customers and it's the people we're trying to serve. So we have a mutual benefit there. Um, we certainly partner with, you know, over a hundred nonprofit organizations across the state, you know, organizations like the Catholic Charities or Salvation Army. So when someone may be coming in for food assistance or rental assistance, they alert right. them to the energy assistance that's available. It really is kind of part of a fully wraparound kind of system and service. And you guys feel that niche of that need. We try. I mean, that was the design by having the agency partners do the income qualification. We have a centralized database where they enter all that demographic data and we can track households. And then we essentially distribute the dollars back to the utility company. So we alert them that those dollars are coming and that sure. gets credit on the account. And then it really links them into our other affordability programs, whether that's an efficiency program or a community solar garden subscription. You know, we want that long-term affordability and, right. and really most of the families we see maybe just need our help once in a while. It's a, right. it's a short-term right. job. And then we have households that are older adults on a fixed income or someone with a severe disability and they need that help to bridge, you know, just their, their basic income. And, and as all costs are going up and as people are seeing such dramatic changes in their utility bill, because of the commodity price, but, but also because we've made decisions as a state on different programs that we're funding through, yes. through those utility programs, yes. that we have to just be aware of that usage. I mean, if you're an Xcel Energy customer and you have a new automated meter, those time of use rates are gonna start impacting you this summer. And that's, we want people looking at their bill. And I think right. that's a real departure from, you know, just, sign up, get your bill on in a PDF and it automatically comes out of your bank account. For for households who don't have a high energy burden, that might work. But for our families where a hundred dollars can mean the difference between paying for a medical prescription or, you know, food, right. you don't have that luxury. Well and it's one of those things too that you know you need it. You know you have to figure out a way to pay for it. But it's not something that people feel like they have ultimately a lot of control over. Right. And hearing you say earlier in the conversation, all of these partnerships that you have in place and how cooperative the energy production industry and the energy distribution industries and all of those different players at the table are, at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to the same goal. But like you mentioned, we're in this period of time where we are very much in a transition process between different forms of generation and different forms of distribution. And it's going to, it's going to take everyone to make that work in a way that's effective and affordable and sustainable and all of the challenges that we all face based on that transition. 
Well, and we, we need an all of the above approach, you know, every, you know, because right. different parts of the state, I mean, we see in Southern Colorado, I use Sawatch, Conejos, Castilla, and Alamosa County, 25% of the people we help still use wood or propane as their primary heating source. Yes. So electrification may be a great solution for them. But when we talk to those households, they're concerned about the resiliency because they, you know, have seen there's power seen out, failure, right. right? And so they know that that pellet stove, if they have the wood, <laughs> is going to provide the heat they need. Definitely. I think the other piece is, you know, Colorado's changed so much. I've lived here nearly 30 years, right? All of us that have, are not natives have seen the just difference of most of the apartments I lived in years ago didn't have a air conditioning. And now we're in a place where it is warmer, longer. That health impact comes from heat. You know, where can we help add cooling to a home, which really has that connection to health and healthy homes, but it adds to the load. And so we have to balance that interest, Um, you know, getting technology into people's homes so they can better control their usage is excellent. But you need Wi-Fi to manage a smart thermostat. It's a different different world you're serving. Right. But what does that look like? If you look at an ideal solution, and if your organization got to a place where you said, we've done it, we've accomplished our goal, given the always changing and always evolving technology and infrastructure that we have in place, do you ever get there? Is this an ongoing mission to make things better? Or do you get to a place where you say, we've done it, guy, we've provided what we needed to? I'd love to get to that place. I think all of us that come into this nonprofit space have some idealism that we're going to work ourselves out of a job. And reality is, you know, it's just there's always new needs, right? There's always a new group or population that doesn't get to benefit from some of the new transitions that are happening and they need a little bit of assistance. You know, I think in the perfect world, you know, we've just really got to stop demonizing each other and start really trying to understand how we do this in a way that's reasonable, how we do this in a way that takes into account what people need. I mean, you know, as we get to be a larger statewide organization, and we're trying to serve more and more people, it's hard to get that niche, you know, what are people really wanting? Like we're trying to survey the families we serve, how do they want these programs delivered? But we also have a lot of restrictions to the funding we have because it's either taxpayer funding, you know, utility rate payer funding, or, you know, a donor restricted, which is the way it works and that's fine, but there's a due diligence that we have for these dollars that we... Right, well, because you're accountable to your funder regardless of who it is. Public, private, philanthropic. Here we have someone. Yeah. Well, and I think I think you're right, and that I think that's absolutely the right answer. Is we're all we want to get to the same place. We want this clean, affordable, sustainable energy, but understand the challenges with getting there, and that it can't happen overnight. But there's responsible ways to do it. So we're certainly grateful to have organizations like Energy Outreach Colorado to help, really, like you said, be that navigator and bridge that that gap for end users and for the partners that are helping produce and make all the energy function in Colorado that someone has to be in the middle helping helping the individuals make those connections. Well, and I think, you know, when you are in the production space or you're in the construction space, I mean, that consumer piece can sometimes, you know, get lost, frankly, just because you're trying to finish projects and and do all the work. And, and right. we totally understand that. And I think that, that's what's been an interesting place is, you know, there are people that want to participate in this energy transition. And there's people that are, you know, kind of sticking, you know, don't want it is interesting. It's just sort of like, you know, change is hard. Technology. Change is hard. 
Well, and electric vehicles, I think, are a good example of that. You know, there's a lot of benefits to that. And then there's a lot of things that have to change in terms of how we think about transportation and how we think about mobility. Well, and Um, what we have in place to even make it possible. The idea of, yes, we can all go that route sounds lovely, but the reality is our state's not prepared to do it. So that reality versus ideal is a challenge. Right. And I think we're, you know, we see like that there's five to seven years from now, we're going to be in a very, very different place. Yes. And when I think of our contracting partners, you know, the one thing I'm always sensitive to is callback, right? Like if we ask someone to install equipment, we want to be sensitive to the idea that, um, you know, we want people to be educated about the technology that they're receiving and ready to receive it. And we're asking people to make really big lifestyle changes while we're you know, changing this technology. And I think that's a lot, you know, it takes a lot of, of education and, uh, and we're really, really seeing that right now, especially with heat pumps, you know, yes. just talking with someone, you know, with, when we talk about a gas furnace, you can turn it down, right. To save money, you know, reduce the amount you're using with a heat pump. You don't necessarily want to change the, the settings on it. And yeah, the really functionality is just very different, right. That you may be a little more uncomfortable and it's, ramping up or ramping down. I mean, I think this is where all of the parties that come into this, we're really seeing the reasonableness of this. Like we understand the policy drivers and are excited about it, but also have a lot of concerns about implementation. Well, and I think, I mean, there's going to be a lot of growing pains and bumps along the way. And like I said, having an organization like EOC to help kind of stand in that gap is, is really critical. And we're grateful, even from a contractor's perspective of we want to be part of the solution as well, but we want to do it in a sensible and sustainable way. And working with groups like EOC are really, really part of that. So, well, we appreciate the partnership. Really. I have one last question for you. I love this question. And I may actually have an idea in my head of what I think you're going to say. But when you were growing up and you were little, little elementary school, Jennifer, what was your, what was your career plan? What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to like fight injustice, right? And so I, you know, went to college. I had a political science economics degree and then I was doing canvassing for things I believed in and kind of yep. fell into the fundraising world. And then no one I knew that went to law school was really happy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it sounds like a great idea. Um, and I ended up getting my master's and, and I, it is, you just fall into it. It's so funny. I have children in college. And so this is this, like, no one knows. You just don't know what your life's going to look like. And it's all about relationships yeah. and just sort of seizing the day. But I do feel grateful to be in this space and time right now that I have a lot of experience and just curiosity about how to improve it in those relationships and really hope the next decade or so can be a really transformational in this space and that we can come up with some great solutions to help households. It's definitely a unique time for to be doing this work. So we appreciate you. Well, thanks so much. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us today. Stay tuned for more industry insights, news, and information about the men and women building our communities, our skylines, and our future. Thanks, guys. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.